Hi everyone, you alright? Oh, can that go down a bit? Can you make that a bit lower? <laughs> a couple of weeks ago I was preaching and I did that with the, the stand and the whole thing came off of my hand. I was like, I've got to do this. Uh, there you go. Okay, so uh, you've got uh, Bibles, you've also got the printout. Oh, do you know, I think it's, get, get your Bibles open. Can I suggest that if you've got a Bible near you? Because, um, you know, the words there are great, but there are bigger words. There's Bibles over there, people need them. Spare Bibles. Where are we? Luke 12. Someone shout out a page number if you've got one. I've got one, 1045. Page 1045. Okay, I'll read that in a second. Um, oh, hello. Oh, uh, you've got a ma- is that magnetic? <laughs> Switching my thing off. <laughs> there you are. I'll put it on there. That's fine. Um, <laughs> okay. Listen. Um, I don't know about you, but uh, if uh, if you're a worrier, some people uh, we all everyone worries, right? Everyone worries about something sometimes because if you're totally cool about everything all the time, you're weird. But some people are some people worry more than others. Some people are real worriers. Some, t- some people worry about something massive for a long period. Some people lurch from one thing they worry about to another. Each of us are different. And I'm hoping that today's talk, there you go, you can see it in the middle of page 1045, Do Not Worry is an excellent heading. I think the aim of today's talk is that you are encouraged. Don't worry. Okay? And if that's not what happens by the end of today's talk, then I've totally failed. So I want to encourage you all. So let's begin with a prayer, shall we? Our Lord Jesus, when uh, some people say do not worry, uh, they're empty words. Because (laughs) what can they do? But when you say do not worry, and everything is under your hand, they are words of genuine, deep comfort. So we pray, therefore, that your word this morning would really encourage us deeply. May none of us leave this room today worrying in the way we may have done as we came in. Would your word work deeply in our hearts to lift us and encourage us, we pray. In in Jesus' name we ask, Father. Amen. Okay. Now, worry isn't a wrong thing. It's not illegal or immoral to worry. There's a passage in Philippians 4 that says, Do not worry. Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and petition, present your request to God. And I've heard some of the people say, it's a command, do not worry. It's not a command, it's an exhortation. Don't worry. Don't worry, you don't need to worry. But worry is normal, because nothing is in our control. We haven't got it all by, by the short curlies. But God says, do not worry, because I've got it. I'm in control. Don't stress. Don't worry, I've got it in control. Um, the context of Luke 12, I know you've been going through Luke, is that Jesus is on his way to the cross, the things we've just been singing, see him in Jerusalem. Everything that's being said in these chapters, are, it's almost like a shadow of the cross over Jesus He's saying all these words. The context of everything in these chapters is, I'm walking that way to Jerusalem in order to die. These are like his last words. You ever hear someone saying their last words 
they are really poignant. These are all these chapters of Jesus' last words. So everything he's saying has the cross as a shadow cast over it. And last week you were doing the rich fool. I know you've heard this preached and I'm sure it was better than what I did. But when I preached through these, the thing that really struck me about the rich fool was a single word in verse 15. And it's the word abundance. Let me just read verse 15. Then he said to them, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. Your life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. Now that word abundance, I did the posh thing that you do when you're a preacher and looked up the Greek for that word abundance, right? And that word abundance is also used in um, the feeding of the 5,000. Do you remember Jesus feeds 5,000 people with the fish and the, the bread? And afterwards, even though it's such a small start, everyone is totally full up and there's 12 basketfuls of bread left over. Now that word abundance is the same word as leftover. So there are, there are 12 baskets of abundance after feeding the 5,000. And it struck me as I was reading that, you see. There's enough to eat and then there's the abundance. There's what you need and then there's the leftovers. And God gave that rich man all he needed and a whole batch of leftovers. And he lived for the leftovers. He wanted to make as much of the leftovers as he could. In fact, his whole life was about the leftovers. But he already had all he needed. And Jesus says to us, your life does not consist in abundance, in leftovers. You're not all about making this as much as possible. That's called capitalism, really. You've been given all you need. What do you do with the abundance? Well, it's actually at the foot of today's passage. Have a look at verse 33. Here's your challenge. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. God's given you what you need. The rest of it, you don't need. So you've been given this wonderful advantage. Give it. Be generous with it. That's a challenge, isn't it? Now, Jesus says that as we walk into the cross. And that's a cross-centred life. All you need and the abundance. And the rich man didn't have an abundance. But, you may ask, what about, what about next year? What about when, um, what if my money runs out? What if I lose my job? What if, I, uh, what if there's a market crash? What happens if my house loses value? What if, what if, what if, what if? That's the question that wise people ask, isn't it? That's the prudent question. You can't give it all your abundance left over. You, you would need a bit of a, kind of a money in the back. Do you know, at the bottom of the bank, don't you? And Jesus' answer to that is, do not worry. Don't worry. Two things, uh, two big points, and um, here's our first one. Have I got sheets on here? There we go, there's my talk. There's our Bible reading, we'll do that in a minute. There's our worry, we've talked. Do not worry, think about the raven. Let's have a look at verse 22, let's start reading it. Jesus says to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you'll wear. For life is more than food. Do you remember yesterday, in a minute ago, he said life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. What does life, what is, life is more than food, and the body more than clothes. Consider the ravens. They do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn or bank account. Yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable are you than birds? Who of you by worrying can add a single hour to your life? 
since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? Or consider how the wild flowers grow. They do not labour or spin or work 24 hours, 7 days a week. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendour was dressed like one of these. Now if that's how God clothes just the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you, you of little faith? Do not set your heart on what you'll eat or drink. Don't worry about it. For the pagan world runs after all such things. And your father knows that you need them, but seek his kingdom. And these things will be given you as well. Let's just stop there and think about these two. First of all, there's, there's, there's two issues we need to think about. And the first is, issue is who's in charge? Who's in charge? This is a battle of faith in God or faith in me. When I'm worrying... Who am I going to be let be in charge? Who am I going to put my faith in? God or me? There's loads of things uh, we can worry about in life. Jesus chooses two, food and clothes. Those are the two he gives on. But there's loads of others. And you might read this and think that Jesus is talking about people who are in real poverty. People who just don't know where their next meal is coming from or people who don't know where they're gonna, what they're going to wear in the winter when the winter months come by. And this is a really relevant passage to people like that. They don't have to worry. But actually, <laughs> Jesus is speaking to everybody here. The majority of people throughout history haven't been worried about where their next meal is coming from or what they're going to wear in the winter. People much like us in one sense. I think actually deeper, there's a deeper problem with food and with clothes and with all things. And there's some key words if we work hard at looking at it. The first one is think about food. Have a look at verse 25. I think he's worrying here when he talks about food, he's talking about people who are worrying about health and about death. Verse 25. Who of you by worrying can add a single hour to your life? That's what he's saying to people who are worried about food. But that's actually people who want to add hours to their life. People who are worried about their health and people who are worried about dying. Maybe this is you. Maybe you're someone who yourself, you're close to death. Maybe you're elderly. Maybe I talked to my mum and um, she's at a stage in her life where her friends, her friends are similar age to her, have died. And when that happens, you start to think, well, that's maybe me next. Or maybe you're someone who has um, a sickness or you know others who have had a sickness and your life is frail and that's something you really worry about and we all will at some stage and this is what Jesus encourages us he encourages us to look at the raven <laughs> look at the raven verse 24 this is a Tower of London one right? consider the ravens just look at those birds they don't sow they don't reap they have no storeroom or barn Yet God feeds them. How much more valuable are you than the birds? See, it's an argument from the lesser to the greater. In, in loads of Luke's Gospel, Jesus goes, look at this, this is a, a bog-standard lower version, and yet, if that's true, then how much more the greater? That's how he often argues, Jesus, in, in Luke's Gospel. The, the ravens, they don't sow, they don't reap. 
They don't do a 50-hour working week or a 60-hour working week. They don't do a two-hour commute. They don't work long weekends, and yet they've got enough food to live on. How much more, you of little faith, will God feed you? You are not just a bird. You are the children of God. He gave his son to die for you. You are of great value. If God can feed ravens and sparrows, then how much more you? Because you are of much more value for him than a bird is. Now we work and we work and we worry because we think that if we don't work all hours that God gives, we won't have enough. Um, And we've forgotten that God is in charge. God will provide. And so the question is a question of faith. Will we believe that or are we working in order to provide for ourselves? Or think about the wild flowers. How does the wild flowers work? Well, with regards to clothes, I don't think Jesus is, is really particularly talking about people who are desperate for a warm coat for the winter, although he, he is. I think he's talking to be people who are worried about splendour. Look at verse 27. Consider how the wild flowers grow. They do not labour or spin, yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendour was dressed like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow thrown in the fire, how much more will he clothe you in splendour, I guess? Oh, you of little faith. Next time you go past a field of wildflowers, near where I live, there's, um, there's a, a field of uh, lavender. The lavender fields, they're called. And um, I don't know why, but somebody in China has put these on the internet. And so we get hundreds of Chinese tourists coming to a lavender field near Sutton. As you'd imagine, you know, seventh wonder of the world, the lavender fields in Sutton. You get busloads of Chinese tourists. And it, it, to be honest, in the dusk, it is quite a cool kind of photo opportunity. All this beautiful blue lavender. And... Um, uh, they've got British post boxes and telephone boxes so you can get your British lavender photo done. They're, they're great. I mean, I've got some of the kids and they look wonderful. And you see these flowers and they are beautiful. I mean, the blue, when you get a whole field of blue, they are genuinely beautiful. But the truth is that only works for May, June. And after that, they are just green stumps. So they are be- they're beautiful for a patch, but then they're gone. And what God says is, just consider those beautiful lavender plants, for example. They don't labour or spin. They're not working a seven-day week. And yet God makes them look beautiful. They're not down the gym every other weekend. They're not spending a heck of a lot of money on the latest clothes or plastic surgery to make themselves look beautiful. And yet God makes them look beautiful. How much more will he dress you? Uh, I think lots of people are worried about health and death. Lots of people are worried about splendour, how they look. Lots of people are desperately worried because they feel ugly or fat or too thin or too tall or too short or my hair's not right or my clothes don't look right or I'm feeling old and I'm looking old. And, And you feel unlovable. You feel like a nobody. Now, I think this is a complicated issue and I'm not going to get to the depths of the self esteem issue. But you don't need to worry about splendour. You don't need to worry about health or death. Because God's in control. And so worry, at its root, is an issue of faith. 
That's why he says it there at the end of verse 20. How much more will he clothe you? Uh, sorry, verse 28. You of little faith. Who am I going to trust in? What matters to me? See, the, the question of uh, worry is, a, like I say, is a faith issue. And faith is something we all have. Faith just means to trust or depend or to rely on someone. When you read Dawkins or Rowan Williams or people who talk about faith, it feels like a kind of disease you catch. Some people are people of faith and some people are not people of faith. And that's the total junk. Everyone are people of faith. The question is not, do you have faith? It's what do you have faith in? Faith just means to trust or to depend or to rely on something. What do you trust or depend or rely on in your life? Where do you go when times are hard? What do you have faith in? Those are the fowls. I'll come on to that in a minute. Um, in, a, in the intro, I said I, I wanted to help us think about worry and how to deal with the issue of worry. And I think there are two things we need to do if you're a person who is worrying, which is all of us, some more than others. And the first thing you need to do then is to decide what am I going to lean on, what am I going to trust in, what am I going to depend on in my life. Because when I'm worried, it means I've essentially lost control. The thing that I'm leaning on, trusting in, depending on, I think I'm going to lose it. I'm not going to have it anymore. And so I'm worried. Because whatever that thing is, it matters to me, it's precious to me. And as I worry that I'm going to lose it, I've lost control. I can't do it. I can't keep it. And at that point, when I've lost control, if I'm a Christian, I can go, well, I've lost control, but you haven't. And am I going to try to hold on to control and carry on worrying? Or am I going to let God be in control? which is the right place to be, because I can't control it, and he can, whatever it is you worry about. He's your father, he loves you, give control to him, have faith. Now it's easy to say that and hard to do, but um, the key to dealing with worry is trusting him and not me. So my encouragement to be uh, to you, this the first idea is this, is to work really, really hard, pray lots but work really really hard at giving control to God do you know what some people do I don't know what you might do you've got to try and take your worry and put it into a possession say if you're worried about let me try and invent something off the top of my head say if you're worried about um, money money is the stress for you at the moment and you're worried about money take a five pound note I don't know. Take an object and say to the father, um, I'm really worried about money. Here's a five pound note. Have I got one on me? I've got no money on me, have I? <laughs> okay. But imagine I've got a five pound note there. And why not lay it at God's feet? And say, Father God, I'm really worried about this money or this health or my whatever it is my issue is. But, but I know I can't control this. I can't generate money. But you are the Lord. You're in control of all things. Please, can I leave this issue with you? And please, can you take control of this and take it from me? Somehow I need to take it off of these shoulders because I can't do it. And put them at his shoulders. Now, it doesn't mean I'm not worried about it anymore. It just means I know 
the right person's in control of it. My worry isn't my stress. I've left it to him and ask him to deal with it. So the first thing I need to do if I'm worried, oh me of little faith, is to give it to God and let him be in control. He's got, it, he's got the food for the ravens, he's got the beauty for the flowers, he's got whatever it is that is your stress, he's got it. And so I think that's a really hard challenge. But will I let him have it or will I try to keep it myself? Okay? So that's the first thing. The first thing we want to do is let God be in control. But here's the second one. Uh, change what I treasure. Change what you treasure. What do you value? Treasures in heaven or treasures on earth? So let me ask you a question. I'm going to give you 30 seconds to stop and think about the answer for yourself to this question. Here's the question. What do you value most in life? What is the one thing right now that if you lost it would be the biggest tragedy to you? It could be a person, it could be a thing, it could be your talent, it could be something about your very self, maybe your life. Stop and think, what is one thing that right now, if you lost it, would be the biggest tragedy, the thing you value most? Maybe they can think of four or five things. But have that one thing in your mind, just for a moment, the thing you might, that, that you value lots. Now, I ask this question because, um, although this passage seems to be about worry, so the NIV is right, it's about worry. It's about more than worry. It's also about love, priorities. So have a look down at verse 29 again. It says, Jesus says, Do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink, and do not worry about it. Do you see, if you're worrying about something, it's something you've set your heart on. It's something that matters to you. And it's something that matters to me. And if I lose it, I'm, I'm now worried about losing it because I've set my heart on it. If, if I don't care about it, I'm not going to worry about losing it. But if something of great value to me, then that's what I worry about losing, right? It's an obvious thing. Have a look down at verse 30. For the pagan world runs after such things, and your heavenly Father knows you need them, but seek his kingdom, and these things will be given you as well. See that running and seeking language? People are running after this thing, and your Father says, seek, i.e. run after, the kingdom instead. Don't run after these things. Seek the kingdom. What, what do you value? What are you running after? What are you chasing? What matters to you? Don't seek the, heaven, the worldly stuff that they're seeking. Seek instead the kingdom. Don't love the world, love the kingdom. Or the, another word for this is fear, verse 32. So let me read verse 32, that paragraph. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out. A treasure in heaven that will never fail where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So we've got this idea of treasure. Here's a, a bunch of words that we've got in there. Worry, love, seek, and fear. Do not be afraid, little flock, he says in verse 32. Worry, love, seek, fear. These are all different ways of saying the thing that matters to you in most in your heart, the thing you love, your treasure, the thing you seek after, the thing you worry about losing, the thing you love, 
the thing you fear losing, that thing there, that precious thing there, make it something about heaven and not something on earth. It's essentially what he's saying. Whatever it is. Because, I mean, so let me get these two ideas again. Don't, don't try to be in control of the things in your world. Let God be in control. Secondly, don't, don't overly love or desire or put all your eggs in the basket of desiring things of this world, but make them things of the next. You might be worrying about or desiring or caring about the wrong thing or in the wrong place, I should say. I'll say that a bit in a, mi- in a minute. So don't value kingdom, uh, earthly stuff, but kingdom stuff. Verse 30, seek his kingdom and these things will be given you as well. Now seeking the kingdom of God implies that you haven't got it yet, but it's something you want. So it's a simple point. Don't seek after earthly stuff like everyone else who's worried. Seek after the eternal stuff of God's kingdom. Don't be afraid, little flock, for your father's been given, pleased to be given you the kingdom, verse 32. Now it sounds, let me just uh, explain this. Verse 32, he says, um, Do not be afraid, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. But in verse 30, 30, seek the kingdom. So have I got the kingdom, or am I seeking the kingdom? Is it something I've got now, or something I'm looking to get? And the answer is, yes. (laughs) There's a sense in which you have the kingdom now, but something you don't have. It's a now, but not yet. See, if you think about it, the kingdom of God is the rule of Christ. Jesus is the king. And if you follow Jesus now, it means you have the king, you're in the kingdom. But of course, the kingdom is also a place. The United Kingdom is a place. And it means you can be under the rule of Queen Elizabeth, but living in another country. And you're not in the kingdom. So, I don't know, the classic illustration you think of is uh, my auntie when I was growing up. My auntie and uncle used to live in Spain. And you'd go into Spain, and you'd go on holiday there, and when you got there and stayed with them, they were watching Sky TV, all their friends were expats, they were eating English food and Spanish food, and they all spoke in English. They were doing Little England in Spain, and they always always talking about back home in England. So there they were in their heads, they were being English, but they were living in Spain. And in a sense, that what it is to be a Christian. In your heads and in your language and in all your values, you're thinking about heaven, the kingdom of God, but you're, you're just not living there, you're living in England at the moment, wherever you have to live. What, do you, what, you, you, what, what you watch on TV is heaven TV, what you chat about is heaven stuff, what you're longing for and thinking about is heaven stuff, but you're just living here now. You live under the king, but not in the king's country. So there's a sense of which you have the kingdom now, but you don't have it fully. You still live on earth, but not in heaven. So let me ask you again, just have a stop, think about what I asked you a moment ago. What is it that you have that you value most in life? Maybe it's a relationship or a career or knowledge or intellect or looks or a skill you have, something you own, your reputation, something you've achieved. If, you have, if you're a Christian, you have something far more valuable than whatever it is you've thought about. You already have that now. You have the kingdom of God. So the second thing you need when you're thinking about worry, the thing that I worry about, is to value the kingdom and not earthly stuff. 
the reason is in verse 33. Let me read that again. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out. A treasure in heaven that will never fail, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. Now, just to blunt the sword of the Spirit a little bit here. (laughs) When Jesus says, sell all your possessions, he doesn't mean everyone needs to sell everything, as some Christians have interpreted it. It's very, very zealous. It's about an attitude to your stuff. How do I look at my stuff? In my bedroom at home, I've got, apart from my bed, two bits of furniture. I've got a, um, a cabinet that's uh, a you know, chest of drawers that is solid oak. You can, you can bash it and it will stand. It, I think it was belonged to my grandma, and I, I don't know who gave it to her, but I don't think she was new to her. I think, that's, I think it's probably, who knows, at least 100 years old, this thing. Okay. It's got that smell of something that's solid, that's old. And it's had my pants in it for years. And probably my, my mum's pants and my grandma's pants in it, you know, for years going back. It's a solid bit of wood. Next to it is a, an IKEA wardrobe that's twice its size and probably 10, less than 15 years old. And um, it's not looking as good, actually, if I'm honest. It looked fine the day we built it, but it's looking a bit shabby now. It's looking a bit worse for wear. And my guess is that in 20 years' time, that will have well been to the dump, whereas that other, you know, solid bit of furniture will still be going strong. That's my children's inheritance, that that thing there, but not the IKEA wardrobe. Now, the thing about heaven stuff is there's something about heaven heaven stuff that will never wear out. Did you see that in verse 33? Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out. A treasure in heaven that will never fail. There's like heaven stuff that will go on and on and on and on. And then there's world stuff that is like your Ikea flat pack that comes and goes. It's just good for this life or probably even less. And so the question you want to be thinking yourself... um, What is it that I value, that I have in life, that I worry, love, seek, fear, the thing that matters to me most? And what is the heavenly counterpart of it, the thing that will go on and on and on, that will never disappear? Because verse 34, he says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. See, I I actually put, uh, what do you value? But I probably should have put this, actually, when I thought about it. Is, is where do you value? You see, Jesus isn't saying the thing that you value, the thing that you treasure, whatever it is you thought of earlier, is necessarily wrong. It's just in the wrong place. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Because if the thing you treasure, whatever it is here in, the, is in, is here in this world, it's your IKEA furniture, it won't last. So you'll always worry about it. But if the thing that you treasure, the thing, is in heaven, there's no moth will, or, or, or rust will destroy it. It will go on and on and on and on. So the, the thing that you treasure isn't necessarily the wrong thing. It's just in the wrong place. Right, I've said this. This has all been far too conceptual. Let me try and nail this down, give you some examples, and then I'd like to get you guys to, to work it out for yourself. Okay, so let me, let me give some examples and see how we go. Uh, business. I've known Christians who live for their business. I can think of some at my church. Their business is their treasure. 
They seek their treasure at their business more than all things. They worry that it will fail. They fear that it will not work. And so the thing that keeps them up at night is their business. Maybe that's you. Uh, but your business will fail. I guarantee it will fail. 100% of businesses fail. The oldest businesses still running today are what? 150 years old, maybe 200 years. If you've got an established 18 something or other, you've got an amazing business. That's because every business that starts fails. They all fail. Your business will fail. Maybe not in your lifetime, but at some stage it will fail. But if, imagine you're, I don't know, let's take a random business. Imagine you're a cake maker. I know some cake makers, they've got a cake business on the internet. One day, if you are a cake maker, you will in heaven be making cakes in a business that will last a thousand years, ten thousand years. You can carry on making cakes in that business forever and ever and ever. And there will be great cakes and it will be a great business. Why would you put all your stock in this business when you will one day have a business that will go on and on and on and on? Why live for the heavenly, the earthly thing when there's the heavenly? So remember the two things. Trust God and not me. So in other words, do my business now. Do it well. Work hard. Try to succeed. And leave the success or failure of your business to your heavenly father. Let him be in control. You cannot control it ultimately. You can do your best. But secondly, value heavenly stuff, not earthly stuff. Because life does not consist in the success of your business. You have the kingdom of God, value what's truly valuable. Does that make sense? Let me try another one on you. Uh, relationships. I've known Christians who value a relationship or the relationship they'd like to have more than anything else. That's the most important thing. If I was married or had a boyfriend or girlfriend or the one I already have, that's the most important thing to me. So you worry about losing it or not, never having one more than anything. You fear, the greatest fear is being left alone. That's the most important thing. So remember those two points. Number one, trust God and not myself. So what I'll do is I'll pray to God and I'll ask him, I'll, I'll, I'll take that five pound note equivalent and I'll take my relationship. Maybe I'll take a photo of the loved one or, or the, the loved one I'd like to have. Okay, And I'll lay it down at his feet and I'll say to him, Father God, will you keep that relationship and grow that relationship or give me the relationship that I desire, I long to have. And I'll work hard to maintain it or to have it. It's a good thing to do. But do you know what? I'll leave it with him. I'll let him manage it. I'll let him be in control. And if despite my best efforts, it, it doesn't work out or it doesn't happen, I know that God is working for my good. I remember when I was a single man for many years, I... I I really wanted to be married. And so I left it to God. I, I had to say, Father God, I would really like to be married. I think it's a good thing. Please would you give me a wife. But if not, please would you help me to be content. And I'll leave that to you to do. I'll pray and ask you to do that. And not try to control it myself. Now, I mean, I went out and I'd look, try to meet people and you do your best. But if it doesn't happen, I'll leave it in the Lord's hands. That's the first thing, control. But secondly, not the heavenly, not the earthly, but the heavenly is what I want to value. So I'll say, Father God, 
I know, imagine when I was single, imagine Father God, I know that it would be brilliant to be married. I'd really love that. But I also know that this marriage is till death do us part. And one day I will be married to the Lord Jesus in the proper relationship of which a marriage here is just a shadow or a picture. One day I'll be in the proper relationship for the rest of forever. And so even though it's really hard that I'm single and I'm really struggling and I'd really like to be married, I know that one day I will be in the relationship that will last forever. That's the real deal. And so although it's hard now, I'll, I'll manage. I've just got to struggle through these next few decades and it will be all right for the rest of forever. You see, value, it's not the relationship that's not the problem, it's where I'm valuing it, you see. And that I can have contentment if I'm longing for the true thing. Does that make sense? Or what about um, children? Let's do another one, children. I don't know if you've got children or where your children are at, but imagine, um, I know lots of Christians for whom they're at that stage where their children are everything. It's all about the kids, okay? It's all about their education, it's all about their health, it's all about their friends and who they're getting on with, or maybe they're a bit older, I don't know. Maybe you worry about your kids, lots of people do. Remember those two things. Number one, am I going to entrust God or try to control it myself? Think about it. Um, your children, I mean, look, if you're a parent, you'll know this. Uh, the children of all people are the ones who cannot be controlled by you. I mean, the younger they are, the more influence you've got. But particularly as they grow up, more and more and more, they are their own people. And you cannot control them. And some people really try. They try to do it through into adulthood, actually. And the truth is, you can't control them because they are them and not you. But you know what? God does. God is in control. So I can take a picture of my child, perhaps, and get on my knees and say, Father God, I can't control what my son or daughter is doing in their life. But you can. So please, would you be in charge? But secondly, and this is a hard one to, to get your head around, it's not uh, valuing your children is not the issue. It's, it's where, not, uh, not what. It might be... Um, Oh, just stop and think about this. You see, I know this is hard to get your head around, but uh, your children are on loan to you from God. Your children are your children for this life. Because in the new heavens and the new earth, and for the rest of forever, I know this is hard to understand, but we are all family. We are all equally family. And your children now are not your exclusive children, and you're right for the rest of forever. You've just got them on loan for this life you'll see them we'll all be special to one another it's true but actually it'll be even better there because we will all be family and we will all be parents in some sense we will all have people to care about and look after and so actually I think this is really encouraging for those who don't have children or who can't have children for whatever reason and for whom that's a real pain that one day for the rest of forever you will be a parent in some sense, you can care for people. We'll all be family. It'll be better than here. So in some sense, you want to... I know it's hard to, hard to understand, but, but treasure heavenly rather than earthly. Of course, by the way, if you're not a parent and would love to be, uh, there are plenty of people to parent here. Right? There are lots of people younger than you in the faith who you can look out for. And you read uh, Paul or Tim um, or Peter or John. He talks about his dear children. 
He's not talking about his kids. He's talking about those in the, in the family whom he loves and cares for and looks out for. So you can be a parent even now. Look, what I've tried to do, uh, I've done my best, is to show to you that what we worry about, what we treasure, are the wrong things in the wrong places very often. Not the wrong things, the right things in the wrong places. They're things that we worry about losing. But give them to God. Let him be in control of those things. And stop and think, am I treasuring and valuing the thing that is here on earth, but actually rust and, and moth will take away and destroy it? Why not treasure and value the thing that's of eternal significance that this is just a picture of, just a partial part of? Now let's try and do that. I'd like to get you to try and do that um, uh, with a bit of an exercise. So try and do this as best as you can. And I'm going to dot around and see how you get on. Uh, turn to the person next to you. Do your best at this. And, you know, do your best. So you're doing those two things. How can I practically let God be in control of the thing that I'm valuing or treasuring and not be in control of it myself? And how would that affect my worry? So stop and think. Be as honest as you like to be. I know you don't have to be that honest. But, but just turn to the person next to you and think, what is the one thing that I might worry about? If, it, if you want to be personal, be personal. If you, if you want to be more general than generic, that's fine. How could I practically let go of that and let God be in control? But then secondly, how is that the earthly thing that I'm worrying about, how is that thing that I worry about going to wear out? And what is the eternal version of the thing that I worry about? What does that look like? That's quite a hard thing, but that's really encouraging to think about. Try and do that to the person next to you. See how you get on, and I'm going to kind of run around and see if I can encourage those conversations in the right direction. Have a go, and then we'll pray. Okay, I don't know how you got on with that. Um, I hope that wasn't too conceptual. Let me just give you one example I was just chatting about, um, and then we'll finish with a prayer. Uh, I was just chatting about uh, health and death. I know someone who's very close to me, a friend of mine, who uh, really worries about health and death. It's the big one for them. And they're still in their 30s, and, and you shouldn't be worried about that at that age. But actually, the concept of dying or catching things, every time they read on the internet or hear a Facebook post about someone getting something, they're instantly thinking, oh, it's probably going to be me. And I'm, I don't know if that, that might be your thing. Some people are like that. And um, the battle this friend of mine uh, has to fight is faith. The, the two ideas, battle of faith, am I going to let God be in control? They have to, their little voice in their head, which is probably demonic, <laughs> um, effectively says, you're going to die or it's going to happen to you. And in faith, they have to say, but God's in control of that. And I'm going to have to let him be in control of that. And I can't, if I'm going to be up all night worrying about this, I can't do that. I've got to go, God's got this. You know, there's that verse in scripture that says, uh, you know, every, was it every, every uh, Matthew 10, do not two uh, sparrows fall to the ground, but not, not but by the, but by the will of my Father in heaven. Is that the line he says? Matthew 10, I'm sure it is. Let me just read that because it's good. To, it's good to get the actual words, isn't it? Um, are not two sparrows sold for a penny, yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside of your father's care. Do you know that every little tiny bird that dies, it happens exactly when God says. And of course that will happen to you. 
It will be, it'll be in God's say, not, not... So don't worry about the little voices, oh, it'll be, it'll be, you will die. No, you will die when God has it. God's totally got everything covered. So let him worry about it, and don't try to hold it yourself. But more than that, of course, life, the, the life, the heavenly things, the really, this is one of the easy ones, isn't it? What are you worrying about that is going to wear out? My body, I'm getting old. <laughs> I can't do the things I used to. I played football recently. It was a bad idea. <laughs> I couldn't do what I used to be able to do when I was 25. Um, and you know that in your body. But the truth is, what will the eternal version of me look like? I will be, have a glorious body. Do you know what? If I die... I, did, um, I was talking to Matt earlier, actually, about this. I did a, a biography on Wycliffe, who was a man in the, in the Middle Ages who translated the Bible into English, and he was burned alive on the stake. And when he died, um, he didn't flinch. When you, when you burn alive, you st- it starts at your feet and works up your body. You're, you watch your feet go, and then your bottoms of your, you watch your body, bit by bit, fall, fall away. And he didn't even flinch. And the reason was because he was a man who knew that this body is disappearing before my very eyes in agony, but I'll have a new body. And that's why he didn't flinch. There was a man who believed and knew. So the truth is, whatever little word in your head says, you're going to die, you're going to die. Yeah, I am. And then I'm going to live forever. So take that. So you see how you deal with worry? You worry, I'm going to let God be in control and I'm living for something better. Let's pray. Father God, we want to thank you for the encouragement of Jesus not to worry. And whatever it is that our worry is, because it's the thing that we love and treasure, please would you grant us wisdom this morning. Please would you grant us the faith, first of all, to trust you with it and not try to hold on to control of it ourselves. We cannot control it, but you can. And you love us more than the ravens, more than the the flowers of the field. So help us to entrust that thing to you and to go to sleep. And Father, more than that, we pray as well that you would help us to understand what to live for. Not to run after the earthly things that the pagans seek, but to seek the heavenly things. To entrust and believe in and live for and long for and seek the real things. And not the things that are just on their way out and disappearing. Help us to be wise, to live for the heavenly realities, your kingdom, and not the things of this earth. Please help us, we pray. Amen.